0: Welcome friends. You've just seen a great movie, a fantastic movie, one that knocked your socks off. You want your family and your close friends to see it because it's the best movie you've ever seen. It wasn't just entertaining, this movie changed your life, and you know it can change their lives too. But they have no interest in seeing the movie, or perhaps they went to see it and the film didn't have anywhere near the impact on them that it had on you. You can't understand why and it's driving you crazy. That's a bit similar to what Paul is struggling with in Romans 9, except that he's talking about something much larger and more serious than seeing a movie. He's talking about the mercy, the sovereignty, and the will of God as it relates to Paul's people, the Jews. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Romans 9, verses 1 to 5 and 14 to 21. Hear God's word. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship, theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use?
1: Thank you, Kristen. Let's pray. Oh, God, grant that what we've read with our eyes, understood with our minds, and received into our memories, we may go out to show forth in our lives. Grant that what we have learned by your grace, we use to your glory. Through Christ, we pray. Amen. You've just seen a great movie, a fantastic movie, the best movie you've ever seen in your life. You, and your, you want your family, your close friends to see it because it's the best. It knocked your socks off. It wasn't just entertaining. This movie changed your life. And you know it can change the lives of others too. But they have no interest in seeing this movie. Or perhaps if they would to go go to the film, they wouldn't have anywhere near... The response that you did, not near the impact on their lives. And you can't understand it, and it's just driving you crazy. That's a bit similar to what Paul, the apostle, is experiencing in Romans 9, except he's not talking about a movie, he's talking about something much, much larger the mercy and grace and sovereign will of God. Paul's anxious for his own family, his own people, to find out what he has found, namely the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants this so badly for them that he goes to the extreme of offering, hypothetically, I guess we could say, to abandon the new life he has found if it would help bring others to Christ. But Paul does not have to do that. To be honest, I don't think Paul can even do that. Today's passage comes on the heels of those soaring and inspiring words of Romans 8, where Paul stated with fierce conviction that nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul cannot be cut off from God's love, even if he wanted to be, but oh, how he wishes he could do something to open the eyes of his kinfolk, of the people of Israel. In essence, Paul says, you've been given it all, but you're just not getting it. Paul struggles with this question, with what he perceives as God's answers, and with the whole issue of God's acceptance. Uh, I'm thinking we can also learn from the struggles of Jacob centuries before. You want to read Jacob's story, you can go back to uh, anywhere around uh, Genesis 32, but it, it, it's a rather lengthy story, the, the stories of the patriarchs. And Jacob is on a journey back to his homeland, which means he's going to see his brother Esau, who, who Jacob had just cheated out of his birthright. With a lot of unanswered questions, unresolved baggage, Jacob sends his family on ahead. And then he experiences and endures one of the most significant nights of his life. He's struggling all night. From, from, dawn, from dusk until dawn, Jacob is tossing and turning, so much so that his hip is dislocated, according to the story. And he's struggling, the story tells, with a stranger, an agent of God. Now, several things come out of this encounter, not the least of which is Jacob gets a name change. He's no longer Jacob, he's Israel, which means in Hebrew, one who struggles. Beyond the name change, however, in this story, Jacob's questions go unanswered. He doesn't give up. Jacob has no clearer idea when his brother Esau, whether his brother Esau will embrace him or kill him when he meets him. At the same time, the stranger did not prevail against Jacob, who got up and continued on his journey. So Jacob seems fine accepting his situation. He goes reluctantly and hesitantly, secure in the knowledge that God will accompany him as he goes forward on his journey. I've had a few experiences like that of Jacob. Perhaps you have too. At those times uh, when something I've done comes back to haunt me, uh, perhaps I said something that I regret, or perhaps someone said something to me that really bothered me, and God and I go back and forth about it. Or maybe I'm struggling with something someone else did, or maybe I want a situation to turn out a certain way, and I want it so bad that I can taste it. So I plead with God. The only thing is, many times when I have questions for God, I want His answers to be what I want instead of what He wants. I have a hard time accepting things that don't go my way, unlike Jacob. And in that sense, I think that's where Paul is in this chapter. He's struggling. Paul's struggle is deeply personal and particularly painful. Ultimately, he wants the whole world to experience Jesus Christ as he has. Uh, Most of all, he wants his fellow Israelites to turn their hearts to God and to come to faith in Messiah Jesus. But he's not getting what he wants. So the scripture tells us he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart. In Jeanette Wall's memoir, The Glass Castle, her mother tells her at one point, things usually work out in the end. Jeanette asks, what if they don't? Well, that just means you haven't come to the end yet, said her mother. Christian churches have grown and flourished. Many people from around the world have come to faith in Christ since Paul's day. And many still continue to resist the gospel. The Jewish people continue in a covenant relationship with God. And for them, life goes on. Paul may or may not want to accept that, but it's the way things were, and it's the way things are. All of that probably means we just haven't come to the end yet. A pastor was waiting in line to have his gas tank filled at the beginning of a holiday weekend in New Jersey where attendants still come to your car to pump the gas for you, and as the attendant motioned, <clears throat> him toward a vacant pump. He said, Reverend, I'm so sorry about the delay. It seems as if everyone wants to wait to the last minute to get ready for a long trip. The pastor said, I know exactly what you mean. Now, there is nothing wrong with expressing our deepest wants and desires, our hopes and our dreams. In fact, it's a very good thing to do. That is one of the reasons that we pray. But Most of the time when we pray, we shouldn't do all the talking. Prayer is also listening to God so we can learn to accept what God is offering us. We should always pray with the scripture near us and listen to God as much as we talk. If we dare to trust God, then God will be with us as he was with Jacob. We can dare to do this no matter what happens to us. And to repeat again what Paul said at the end of Romans 8, there's absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, not our disbelief or our insistence that we know better than God does, or even God's refusal to do what we ask him to do. That does not separate us. Here in chapter 9, Paul points out that God has every intention of blessing all humanity through the nation that God first chose among the peoples of the earth, the people of Israel. That is not changing. It's just that Paul doesn't like how they're behaving. Paul can't accept their rejection of Jesus It's okay to struggle with God's acceptance of both Jews and Gentiles, of both saints and sinners, so long as we don't give up. It can take a long time. Uh, Sometimes our struggle continues much longer than we want it to. Uh, I remember in Psalm 17, David calls out to God, Um, he wants God to pay attention to do what he is asking of God. Yet in the end, after a somewhat detailed list of wants and desires, the psalm closes with this statement of faith. As for me, I will be vindicated, vindicated and I will see your face. When I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. David does not say, in the end, I have to have my way. No, he says, I'll look upon you, God, and I'll accept your plan. God is sovereign. God is in charge. And surely God is present in whatever struggle we may be facing. I see that in the life of Jacob. I see that in the life of David in Psalm 17. And I see that in Paul's life. Who eventually embraces this same truth in regard to his own people, the people of Israel? We see evidence of Paul's attitude adjustment beginning at verse 14. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Did you catch that? It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Every year when we have children attend our vacation Bible school, those children learn that God is in control and that no matter what, Jesus loves you. Maybe it's time we adults learn that, no matter what, God loves us. And God's promises assure us that nothing will ever separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. Nothing in all the universe. Maybe we could learn that lesson sooner than later. Maybe even today. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us. A video recording of this service can be found on YouTube or Facebook by searching for Kenmar Church.